Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Now, guys, before I delve into what today's episode was, you guys know we got a little bit of a deal here over at the Golden Hours Podcast. Dude, if you enjoyed this, just share it with a friend. I mean it. If you got value from it, if you learned something, if you were entertained, if this was an easy listen for you, just share it with a friend. It means the world to me. The show actually has been growing quite organically. I checked the numbers for the first time in a long time, and we're moving, brother. We actually had the biggest month of all time on the podcast last month. And I'm like, uh, what? Kind of wild. Anyway, I'll let you guys know something. I've been tweaking a little bit recently. These Zoom podcasts are a little tough for me to focus on the screen. I've been kind of feeling getting them back in person, getting a studio potentially, but there's a lot going on with me shifting elsewhere where it's not really realistic right now. But anyway, I say that all because today via Zoom, I had quite possibly the most famous runner of all time on the podcast. His name is Dean Karnazes. You guys can look the guy up. He is the most accomplished endurance athlete in the world. And he's now like approaching 60. So he said, dude, I want you to read my book, my new book before we, uh, we hop on. And I said, sure, no problem. And truthfully, as famous as the guy is, he, his impact in this ultra endurance world is huge. Huge, Like, he is as important to this industry, personally, I feel, than potentially Tom Brady is in the NFL world. And obviously, the NFL world is bigger, but really, this guy is such a big deal in the running world, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy, honestly. Really laid back. Um, we talked about his book, A Runner's High, which... Before you guys buy that one, I would buy the first one, Ultra Marathon Man. And then we also talked about his physiology. So essentially when you run or you do exercise, something builds up in your body called lactic acid where it's essentially the burning sensation you get. Dean's body is such an engine that he really doesn't build up lactic acid, which allows him to run for hours and hours and hours and hours. He's done crazy shit. He's planning on running from the base of the Dead Sea up to the tip of Mount Everest. He, just a nice guy, man. Really nice guy. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. In terms of growing the podcast guest-wise, brother, if that was my goal, this is a big win for the athlete world. I'll tell you that much. But it's not really my goal, man. You guys know I want to make movies, and I'm just trying to meet some cool people. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this. Let me know what you think. I got two cool guests coming up next week as well. All up, brother. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. All right, we're rolling. And listen, I am new to the ultra world. Just for, again, for perspective, I have done two 50s and one 100. So in terms of your list of accomplishments, doesn't even touch you, but I am coming from a perspective today where I do, I am a little tapped in with the ultra world. So I'm not, you don't have to really explain everything to me on how stuff works. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it always amazes me when people say, oh, you know, I'm kind of new at things. I've only run 100 miler and a couple 50 milers. You know, it, uh, it, I think our perspective is so warped because, I mean, even this last weekend, I ran a, just a 50 miler and I'm thinking, oh, it's just 50 miles. And as I'm running along the trails, you know, people uh, that are hiking or, you know, pulling alongside, letting me pass and they're, they're you know, asking what's going on here. And I'm like, well, there's a race today and they're like well how far are you guys running and I'm I said you know 50 miles and they just said hold it <laughs> no what yeah people are running hold it people are running 50 miles today like in one day <laughs> and, and I'm like yes they're like well we're like where do you where are the hotels at night and I'm like no we we just you know the gun went off this morning we're running 50 miles right now that's the most common question I've again like when do you sleep dude yeah, like, you know, what happens when it gets dark? You know, where do you eat? All those kind of things. So it's uh, it's fascinating what we do. And I think that, uh, you know, you, you just saying to me, well, I kind of I kind of know the ultra running thing. I've done a hundred mile and a couple of fifties. You know, it's uh, it, it, that is ninety nine point nine nine percent more than anyone uh, on Earth will ever do. So congrats. Thank you, man. Now, is it refreshing for you since when you started seeing the growth of everything? I love it personally. I, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's an activity. You can call it a sport, you know, you can call it a lifestyle. You can call it an activity um, that's brought a lot of joy to my life. And it's, you know, it, 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 when you do something that you once thought, or when you first heard about it, you thought was impossible. It proves to you a lot of things about yourself. So it's been a, a great internal journey as well as an outward journey, but, you know, seeing more people getting into it, um, I think it's a fantastic thing. I mean, it's in, in so many different ways. It's a fantastic thing. Yeah. So I had Chris Kosman on the podcast like a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure you guys have a million memories together, but he was saying the coolest thing about the growth of ultra running since he started Badwater was just how international things have gotten in the States. Did you notice that in your race this weekend? Yeah. I mean, this, this was a, uh, uh, a race called the Marin ultra challenge which has become kind of an iconic, uh, destination race. So, uh, I think there were, you know, several countries represented. Certainly I talked to a lot of folks that had flown in from all over the country to run it, but you know, to Chris's point, you know, Badwater, especially cause I've been doing the Badwater. Oh boy. Before he was even the race director. So which, you know, maybe is the first time I did Badwater was 1995 and it was, I was like 23 people at the starting line, all pretty much from the US. Uh, and now, you know, there's 100 people. And I think last year, there may be 30 or 40 countries represented. So people are coming from all over the world. Cool. Well, hey, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do for anybody that's gonna be tuning into this? Hey, I'm uh, Dean Carnassus, and I'm an author and an ultra marathoner. Uh, is that now listen he's a humble guy but this is you guys this is like the Tom Brady of the ultra running world and um, truthfully like I've never been so excited for an episode because your book and it it was so interesting as I was saying before we recorded ultra marathon man was I had Mikkel Gragley on the show like two years ago and he he was the one who told me about your book. And he was like, the reason I started running in Central Park was because I read Ultra Marathon Man. Now, is that the most rewarding part reflecting on things of your career that you've been able to document things and share it with people? Or is it the race itself? 
I think to me, it's sharing it with other people and listening to um, people saying to me, wow, I, you know, I read your book and it just it opened my eyes and now I'm running ultra marathons. You know, I've got uh, like a lot of messages from people and it's to me, it's more satisfying, more gratifying than than running races. And because, you know, if you can inspire someone else or just, you know, enter someone else's life in a positive sort of way. Uh, to me, that's kind of the highest calling. I can't, I can't imagine anything else that's, you know, that, that is to me, that is more meaningful than having a positive impact on someone else and hoping that their life can be better. I'm also at the age, I'm 26. So I'm at the age where you were roughly when you hit that first 30 miler, like you, just for reference, you were like, you were working some job you hated, you were making good money, but you're like, I just have no real like challenge in my life. So one night you just sent it out to the beach from were you in San Francisco or? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, but I mean, I was a little bit older than you. I, I didn't, you, you look, uh, your, your presence is much, uh, much more mature than, than 26, but, and that is a, a high compliment. Um, Thank you. I, I wish you told the girls over here that, that'd be nice. <laughs> It was it was my thirtieth birthday, so I was a little bit older than you. And you're right; I had a great job that I hated, and I was you know celebrating my thirtieth birthday in a, in a bar with my my bros, you know, having shots of tequila. And at midnight, I told them I was leaving. They're like, "Dude, let's have another round." I mean, it's it's your thirtieth birthday, and I said, "No, instead of having another round, I'm going to run thirty miles to celebrate." And they looked at me and they're like, "Wait, you're not even a runner. You're you're drunk." And I said, "I am, and I'm still going to do it." And I, I literally walked out of the bar and I didn't even own running gear, but I had on like these silk underwear, these silk boxer shorts. So I just peeled off my pants and threw them down the alleyway and started stumbling into the night, uh, heading south in my underwear, drunk, and knowing that uh, a town called Half Moon Bay uh, was 30 miles away. Now, when you reflect on the, the time before you started running in when in your 20s, like, does it amaze you how sedentary you were, given how active you are now? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was never really a slacker. Like, I, I love surfing. And, um, you know, I was fairly athletic, but uh, I had no cardiovascular health whatsoever. I, you know, walking upstairs was strenuous. And I was getting a little punch, you know, and I, I just looked at myself and said, God, this is this is not the person I want to be. And you got to change things up. And kind of that drunken night, I think, was, uh, you know, the turning point. Yeah, on the surfing point, that was another one of my favorite parts of the book is when, because I was just thinking, I was like, who, like, who would Dean Karnaz's idol be? Like, since you're just such a trailblazer in your industry. And when you said, like, I really looked up to Laird Hamilton and Tony Hawk, I was like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, well, those guys were trailblazers, not just because they excelled at their sport, but because they kind of created a, their own thing, right? I mean, Laird Hamilton, uh, you know, he's, he, he hated surf contests because a lot of times surf contests are very commercial and, you know, you're forced to surf in really horrible conditions, but in major metropolitan areas where there can be a lot of spectators. And he hated it. He's like, I don't, I don't like crappy waves and, you know contests and people I, I like just charging the biggest gnarliest waves on earth and he made a living out of doing it and same with tony hawk you know he's like yeah it's just skateboarding but i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it into something and you know and he did so i those are two guys that really inspire me so when you were learning to monetize your career as just a savage runner like 
how much trial and error was involved with that for you? Like, did it take you a while to hit your stride understanding the business side of things, how to keep things going or? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think I just opened my eyes to opportunity. Like uh, I ran this race called the the Western States 100 mile endurance run, which you know about. It's kind of like the uh, original, Super Bowl. most iconic. Yeah. And these, these two guys came up to me afterward and they're like, Hey, we're from the North face and we want to start making trail running shoes, like shoes specifically for trail running. Cause back then there really weren't specific trail running shoes. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like something I'd like to be involved with. So they said, you know, there's not a lot of money in it, but um, you can help with design and you can wear test the shoes. And so I, I said, yes. And uh, from there, it just kind of other opportunities kind of came my way and I, I just kind of seized them. I kind of kept my eyes open to um, new things coming in. And, and I always tell people, you know, if you're passionate about something, you can make a go of it, even if it's basket weaving, you know, you just be the best damn basket weaver you can be. And you'll figure out a way to, to make it into a, a vocation, into a living. It's scary as hell to step away from like a corporate paycheck and all that kind of thing. But nowadays it's becoming a lot more commonplace, especially with the pandemic. Like when I did it, no one was like an entrepreneur. There's no gig economy. And, you know, I just kind of figured it out. But nowadays, uh, there's there's a lot of opportunity if you want to do what you love. Yeah, Chris called himself an adventure entrepreneur. And I was like, I guess you could probably put Dean in that category too. Two of two, just two of you guys. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've well, you can see some of these things behind me. I mean, I've run on all seven continents uh, twice now. You know, I've been everywhere. I'm heading in a couple of weeks to Patagonia to run a hundred miler. You know, after that, I'm going to Greece. So yeah, I've turned adventure into uh, into a lifestyle and into a living. Well, I just want to talk about the book real quick. So again, as I was saying, super glad that you told me to read it because it is a soup. It's a way different perspective than the first one um, because it's you almost reflecting on like your last 25 to 30 years in the sport. And so I already had that basis of kind of what your story was from the first one. It was interesting to see like how you evolved. Like, I don't really remember if you talked too much about your kids in the first one or um, the first one was when you were, excuse me if I'm wrong. That was when you did like the 190 miles through the night and there was like some charity component to it. And then you like ducked behind the fast food to like get the burritos. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly, that's, uh, I ordered a, like, I ran a a 200 mile relay race. uh, But you did it on your own. Yeah, I did. I don't have 11 friends. So I'm like, I'm going (laughs) to, but I, I, uh, I ran out of food uh, in the middle of the night and I was out on this backcountry road, but I had a cell phone and a credit card. And it was one of those old style, like flip phones, but I, I ordered a pizza and I had it delivered to me as I was running. And that I'll never live that story down. It's I wrote about that in the book, and and that's kind of like I'm known as the guy who ordered a pizza while he was out on a 200 mile run. Um, I also mean, I mean, there was an instance right where like you tried to go through the fast food window, but she refused to give you the food, right? Yeah, she uh, she said it. You you got to be in a car. Like she, I called her the like the 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 you know the she was like the authoritarian taco the witch queen. Yeah, I mean she just. <laughs> I pulled up at the drive-thru and I'm like, I see my order right there. You know, I got, I got eight bucks right here. Let's just make a quick exchange and I'll be out of here. And it's like, no, no, you got to be in a car to order from the takeout. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And, but you were like 80 miles into a run at that point. Yes. 
Well, thankfully, I found a guy that let me hop in the back of his car. And so I, I ended up getting the order anyway. Yeah, those are, those are great stories, man. So um, in this book, just for anyone that's going to be listening in, you you kind of describe you like feeling like you might have lost a flame for ultra running a little bit or like you just didn't feel as passionate about it. And then you said, fuck it. Um, I just got into the Western States. I'm going to sign up for the race and just do it this year on a whim. And you had very little training. You did some sort of 100K near your house. Am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you, you realize in the hundred K like physically you were kind of not your tip top shape. And then you end up going and doing Western States and it was just the hardest ultra experience you had in a really long time. You like fainted, fell in a Creek and, but you have this like hallucination almost after mile 55. And there's this component of you trying to connect with your son and you faint, but then you, you've like envision yourself failing in front of your wife and your kids and your son driving off the mountain drunk. And then you wake up and realize, Holy fuck, I got to finish this race. Sorry to give away any spoilers, but that's essentially the the meat of the book. Yeah. And it, it, a lot of people uh, tell me about that plot line because it's not what you expected, right? It's, you know, it's, it's nonfiction. So it's storytelling all of a sudden it's kind of a head fake, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was important to talk about being a dad now, because you're right, on my first book, Ultra Marathon Man, uh, you know, my daughter was just born, so she was six months old. I didn't have a son, and now I have both. Uh, you know, they're, my daughter's your age, actually, and my son's a little bit younger. And, you know, I thought it was important to include them, because it's, it's kind of a father-son story as well. I mean, regardless of your age, you know, if you're, if you're a father like me, you can relate to it. And if you're a younger man, kind of like you, you know, I don't, I don't know what your relationship is like with your father, but I'm in his home right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you got a glimpse into what my relationship is like with my son and, you know, like I wasn't the kind of let's go play catch, you know, son kind of dad. I mean, I was, it was a little bit different. I, I was traveling the, you know, the world a lot and I kind of thought sometimes I'm neglecting, you know, I wasn't there for every soccer game and every basketball game. But when I could be, I was for sure. And I very much kept up with everything my kids were doing. And you kind of saw like the two paths I think uh, my kids could have taken in, in this most recent book, A Runner's High. And thankfully, they took the, the path that um, was not quite as dramatic as the one you described, <laughs> drunk on the mountainside. Yeah. Well, it seems like their upbringing must have been interesting and at least seems in the book, it seems like you separated your career from like your home life pretty well. Like did, did your kids, what was their upbringing like in school? Like, Hey, my dad's this crazy famous runner. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they got to travel. They've been around. I mean, they've been to Australia, they've been to South America, they've been to Europe many times. Uh, so they've come along with me. I mean, when I ran 50 marathons in 50 States in 50 days, uh, they were they were on, along for the ride. They were on the bus. So and you know my daughter was uh, ten at the time. My son was eight. So you know how many kids get to see all fifty states? How many people even? How many Americans get to see all fifty states? So they got they came along on the adventures, and they, you know, they always have known me as this ultra marathon guy because you know I was doing it right when they were born. 
So I'll never forget uh, one time I, I was taking my kid, um, Nicholas, to, to school and I dropped him off and I kind of had um, kind of trouble getting up the curb, walking him over to the, the teacher's assistant who was going to take him into his class. And as they're walking away, I heard the teacher's assistant say, is your dad okay? And I, I remember Nicholas saying, oh yeah, he's, he's fine. He just ran a hundred miles yesterday. He's just a little sore. And the teacher's <laughs> assistant's like... <laughs> And he didn't know. He's like, "Oh boy, this this little boy's got a vivid imagination." Yeah, his dad really. His dad ran a hundred miles yesterday. But yeah, they they just saw me as that guy who runs long distances. Now, ge genetically, you talk about a lot in the book about like that's probably one of my favorite things of the ultras is like how primal you feel running out in the woods and like you feel ancestral sometimes. Where do you have any athletic genetics like prior? Is this random that you're so athletic or, I mean, your dad had run the marathon, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a hundred percent Greek. So, uh, you know, the, the marathon originated in Greece and, you know, I'm very proud of my heritage. I mean, you know, the Greeks were athletes, uh, foremost, you know, the, the Olympics started in Greece in 17, uh, and seven, seven, six BC. So, uh, it's, you know, athletics is kind of part of my genetic makeup. And there were these uh, athletes in Greece called the Hemer of the Romi, or the Romi, which means uh, day-long runners. And this was basically what they did for their living as they were mess foot messengers. And they would um, run from city-states, you know, like from Athens to Sparta, uh, to, you know, collect intelligence, to share information. It was kind of like uh, Greece's faster internet was having these runners because they realized that a, a trained ultra marathoner could outrun a horse. So it was quicker for them to send runners. Like if they got invaded by the Persians that had a cavalry, uh, they could send a runner that would get to, you know, these other city states to, to warn them before the, the Persian horses could arrive. So you think you could be a descendant of the, the first marathon, the guy who had to run across marathon? <laughs> My dad always says we're from the same village as this guy, Philippides uh, is his name. And I always say, Dad, Dad, I was born in I was born in Orange County. Like, what what village in Greece are you referring to? Now you've done Athens Marathon, I'm assuming, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, what was that like for you? Like uh, spiritually, did you have some sort of connection? Did you feel something weird? Um, it's it's funny you say that because the the book before my last book. Uh, before the one you just read, which is called The Runner's High, the one before that was called uh, The Road to Sparta. So it's all about the origins of the marathon. And it's kind of a fascinating story because uh, everyone thinks a marathon is 26.2 miles. But uh, the reality is that the foot messenger, before he did the final marathon, had run uh, close to 300 miles. So he had run basically to Sparta and back. Um, and if you've ever been to Greece, you know that uh, it's, a, it's a really mountainous area to run between Athens and Sparta. But he had run to Sparta and back uh, before he ran the final marathon. And I describe it, uh, you know, I did a lot of um, research for that last book, The Road to Sparta. And I talk all about um, the Greek athletes and, you know, the Spartans and, and uh, Greek history. Now, this is totally random, but I, I had this interesting conversation with Mikhail Gregory when he was on, too. 
have you ever had like a really divine moment in any sort of like really uh, painful situation while you're running where you're like, you feel like you're almost talking to God or a God? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when you push your body and your mind to that limit, you definitely have, um, I call them out of body experiences. And, you know, I'm not a traditional religious guy, but I'm, I guess, very spiritual. So, you know, one thing I'll never forget is uh, running this 350 mile race, (laughs) which is crazy, I know. But on the third night of running, uh, I woke up and I'm running in the middle of the road. And I'm like, hold it, why am I running down the middle of the road? So I, I kind of meandered back over to the shoulder and then it happened again. I, I woke up running down the middle of the road and I realized I was sleep running. I was just falling asleep, but I was willing my body to keep going. So that was kind of freaky. And then uh, the morning came around. So this is the third night of running, uh, no sleep uh, in you know almost 80 hours. And as I'm running, I look down and kind of running in between my feet is, it looked like a, like a praying mantis, like a bug at first. And then it looked like an army man, like a little uh, toy army man <clears throat> running. And I'm looking at this thing between my feet, trying not to step on it. And, and, and then it occurred to me that that little thing down there was me. And it was though I was in a, you know, a helicopter or a hot air balloon looking down upon myself. Like I'd left Gosh. my body and that was, wild (laughs) i don't i mean how do you describe an experience like that so what has that led you to believe about a higher power i don't mean to get super philosophical it's just yeah uh i mean i think that uh, you know there's more to us than we will ever understand um you know we could talk about metaphysics and you know what happens after after we die and that sort of thing uh, we'll never really know the answer. I mean, again, the, you know, the Greeks, the Socrates and Plato, I mean, they, they thought about these questions deeply and, you know, they're, they have no, we have no more conclusive insight to what happens afterward than they did. But, you know, I, I think that, um, none of us leave this earth, (laughs) you know, everything that's here on this earth came from this earth and is going back to this earth, including me, including all of us. So I think we're, you know, when you, when you have an experience like that, I think you, what you're left with is this feeling that you're part of something grander and you're, you're connected somehow, but it's, it's almost an endearing feeling that, you know, you, you're just part of, of, of us. Yeah. There are moments I've had in my life personally, where I've done things like, for instance, I just made a movie in Boston and it was always my goal with our podcast. And I throw a bunch of events here to make a movie in Boston, not go to New York or LA. And then we did it. And like, it was like five years of me just trying to fucking grind this out and get this done. And we did it. And when it was done, I just, I reflected on like all the pain it took to get there. And I realized like some, your pain is super defining of your character and sometimes i think this sounds nuts but sometimes i think that you have a certain destiny with the pain you go through to learn more about yourself does that make sense (laughs) let let me flip it i'm sorry sometimes i get a little lost when you ran 30 miles from your office the area where your office was to the bar to the beach 
when you reflect on that, do you think that was certain destiny? Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely. Yeah. Now that I've had time to think about it. Yes. Okay. And do you think some of the frustration you felt before that, where you were really unsatisfied was potentially a higher power saying, dude, you are underperforming because we need you to go down this path. Yeah, I think, I mean, yes. Okay, nice. <laughs> but I mean, I think that, you know, the Oracle at Delphi and, you know, said, know thyself, which is kind of a, you know, what Socrates said, um, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. So I think that uh, to understand who you are and to get to that uh, place you just described, you need to push yourself. Uh, you you know you can't just sit on the couch and learn about yourself. You've got to do things that really take you out of. I hate using this term, but take you out of your comfort zone. And when I say that, I mean go run a hundred miles. <laughs> if you want a symbolic way to get out of your comfort zone, you know go do something like what you did, and you learn a hell of a lot about yourself. And how do you learn? You learn mostly by how you counter pain, right? I mean, to your point, when you struggle, that's when you reveal who you are. And that's how you learn about yourself and you learn how to adapt and improve. And again, this, yeah, I keep going back to, to, to ancient Greece, but I mean, uh, if you've ever read Homer, um, you know, the Iliad or the Odyssey, uh, the main character, uh, Odysseus, his, his name translated literally means man of pain. So from the very first writings that we have, the very first storytelling, it's all about a man experiencing pain and how he grows and develops because of this. Now, given all of your trials now with pain, it must be so hard for you to identify situations where you can test your pain tolerance given that all you've done and i'm sure you're searching for it now like what is what's your take on that like you've eclipsed pain tolerance at this point yeah i mean you know even this couple of days ago when i ran this 50 mile race it was a, it was a tough 50 mile race and um i wasn't feeling well at all i, I had a, a horrible race and I still, you know, I, I never thought about quitting once, you know, I never thought about anything but continuing. And that's kind of a rigid way to force yourself not to, not to DNF, not to, you know, did not finish. I just kind of said, look, you're having a horrible race. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, you could pass out and end up in the hospital. <laughs> you could die. Possibly. I mean, if your electrolytes are that far out of out of balance, you know, you, you could die. And I was kind of fine with that. Like, I'm if that's the way I'm going to go out, that's the way I'm going to go out. So I'm not quitting. And that was kind of just where my head was at, like, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, it's going to take 11, 12 hours of just suffering and misery, but you're going to keep doing it. But, but essentially, that's what you're searching for, right? You, that's your thing. Like you want to find that moment where you're incredibly uncomfortable to test yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that people are afraid of pain in our society, in our culture. I mean, I don't think that I know that I mean, if you turn on watch television, 
I mean, half the commercials are for, you know, drugs that take away pain. You're in pain, take this. Oh, if you have this pain, take this. And I think that's kind of wrong. I think that pain is an emotion. And I think that if we're going to experience the full range of emotions, we want the highs and we want the lows. We want the pain. So I kind of embrace pain. I say, you know, learn from the pain, uh, learn from the suffering. Uh, it's a great emotion and it's a deep emotion and a powerful emotion, you know, engage in it. So now that you've done that so many times, though, it's there's no. For you, is there any sort of like. You know exactly what you're going to feel. So, I mean, that kind of for you must take the edge off the pain you're feeling. I don't know if that made, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, but. I mean, I used to, when I used to stand at the starting line of a fifty mile race, I used to think, okay, you know, rip this one up. Let's see if you can do it in sub eight hours, sub seven hours. You know, can you get on the podium? <laughs> now, uh, you know, I'm at the starting line, going, okay, this is going to really suck, and you're going to work twice as hard as you used to work, and you're going to be slower than than that. And so now that's kind of my challenge is like, can you, can you keep showing up? Can you keep making it to the starting line and making it to the finish line year after year? And, you know, that is kind of like my challenge moving forward is uh, how to persevere, right? Uh, you know, it's, I've been doing this for three decades. Can I do it for four decades? You know, can I do it for five decades? <laughs> and I want to be that guy that's just, you know, Wrinkled well and weathered and just but there he is there there's that carnassus guy again my god the guy is still doing it you could try to compete in the gentleman olympics at some point I and mean, that's probably 20 years down the line but <laughs> i don't know if I'm ready i mean that. you'd kill it um so quite kind of reverting back to laird hamilton you would know this better than i would but what is his he has a specific diet. Do you remember what it was? You know, I think he is kind of like me and um, he's a paleo, right? He's paleo. And I take it kind of the next level. I'm pretty much raw as well. So I don't cook like I don't do a lot of cooking or processing of my food. Uh, and I think that uh, eating a lot kind of what they call live food is really a good thing. So what does that mean? Like, what was your lunch today? Or I mean, where you are, it's like 11. So what will it be? Well, I mean, let's talk about dinner last night, because I do a lot of um, time restricted fasting. Me too. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I typically don't eat until a little bit later in the day. But um, yeah, so I grow a lot of my food uh, here at my house, uh, including a lot of herbs. So I put like um, oregano and uh, rosemary and almost everything that's grown in my garden. Um, last night I had a, uh, a big salad. So organic greens, arugula, um, a bunch of vegetables, none of it cooked again, just chopped in a salad, uh, with, uh, I get this really great olive oil from Greece. So I import my olive oil from Greece and I had, um, sardines with that. <clears throat> so I'm kind of what they call a pescadarian or, a, you know, a a seagan. I eat most of my protein from the sea and sardines are kind of like my go-to. They're sustainably caught and they're pretty, they're not super high in the food chain. So they don't have a lot of mercury and they have a lot of um, omega-3s. 
and that's what I ate for dinner. I, you know, I tell people if, if I can't uh, pick it from a tree, dig it from the earth or catch it with my hands, I don't eat it. Except for aid station snacks, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I work with, well, you can probably see my Jersey with hammer nutrition. So yeah, during races, I use, you know, gels and energy bars. Um, but I mean, other than that, I, my normal diet, I usually don't eat anything that's packaged. So did you run this morning? No, I didn't. I ran, I hobbled uh, last night about uh, six miles. And I'm going to run after this interview, actually, I've got a like a two hour slot, um, I'm going to run. So will you approach that run completely fasted? Yes. And so I do that too. You're probably the only other person I know that does that. Do you have any sort of intra run nutrition for your training runs? As you mean, as I'm doing this run today, yeah. Like, do you, will you do a goo or a packet or anything? No, just water. Yeah, just water. So, do you bonk ever? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, a slow tempo run uh, because it's kind of where I just need to get some base miles and I need to just get out, you know, spin out some of that lactic acid that's still in my legs. So it'll be a you know a slow like eight to ten minute pace with some with some hills. So you don't bonk? No, not really. It just kind of the whole thing's a bonk. <laughs> yeah. But I don't come to a point where I can't like I can't keep going. Uh, I do, you know, sometimes that happens to me, but it won't today, I don't think. So you like very infrequently will hit a wall. I think it's uh it's hard to say, you know, what one man's wall is like versus another. Uh you know, I have low moments uh you know are they lower or not as low as the runner next to me it's it, i don't know because i'm not in their head and you know people say you don't experience pain because i can tell i do experience pain and i don't know if i'm just immune to it or if the pain i experience is less than someone else but you know i can run with someone for 20 30 miles and they're saying oh my knees are hurting my shins are hurting and i'm like mine do too and they'll say but i got to stop and i'm like well I, I, I don't need to stop. And, and whether that's because my pain is less or just my tolerance is higher, I, I don't know the answer. So for instance, when you ran the Boston Marathon, you could have done the whole thing fasted in your times. You could have been consistent the whole time with no nutrition. Pretty much, yeah. I think so. Wow. I think so. I mean, I, like last time I ran New York, uh, it was a cooler day. And all I had for the whole race is a, a you know a cup of water at an aid station at the halfway point. Wow. So let's say you go hit that 10 mile run today. What would your caloric budget be for the whole day? Probably um, my, my metabolism is still kind of revved up from this race over the weekend. So probably 35 to 3,700 calories, maybe, maybe 4,000 calories. So mostly plant-based with uh, sardines. Yeah. And, you know, uh, healthy fats. I think that, you know, fat is a more concentrated source of calories. So the olive oil, um, avocado, uh, these healthy fats, um, uh, I think are how you get your calories. Because, you know, you, let's face it, you can't eat 4,000 calories worth of roughage. You know, you bloat a rhinoceros. Yeah, I mean, I, I could fill this room with 4,000 calories of lettuce. <laughs> yeah you could now 
you're also time restricted. So that's been a problem for me too, is because so mind you, I'm a bigger guy. I'm like six, three, 205 to 220 pounds. So, um, I have found it incredibly hard to get clean calories within a six hour window, but that's something you're doing. Well, do you, have you ever tried nut butters? I have. Hazelnut butter or cashew nut butter. I mean, those are good almond butter. Calories. Yeah. Almond butter. Those are good sources of uh, concentrated calories. So that's, I didn't realize you're such a big guy. That's, you know, you have a tougher go of it than I do. I know I'm not like you speedsters. <laughs> well, I have a, a newfound respect for you running a hundred miles because it, let's face it. I mean, it's, it's, it's harder when you're bigger. I, I mean, was the I'm biggest guy out there by three inches, five, oh, four yeah. inches. Yeah. And I mean, your body is, is working as hard. Your heart just to get blood to all your muscles is, is huge. And it's working really hard. No, you're like a, you're like a border call. You'll live till you're 20. I'm kind of like a great Dane. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I have like a strong eight year period. Now, yeah, well, um, I, think you're, I mean, you're a young guy and you're doing a lot of things, right? Like your time restricted fasting, you know, you're, you're paying attention to your diet. Um, you know, knowing these things and knowing that you're bigger, uh, is, is going to bode well for you in the future. I, I think you've got more than eight years. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Now, is the aim with your diet to get as close to what the medieval Mediterranean diet was, but they were still doing, they were doing meats though. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of emulating the ancient diet and they were eating more. I mean, it's, it was wild game. So they were doing more wild game. But the Greeks were also, you know, they were harvesting from the sea for, for years. So a lot of, a lot of uh, protein came from the sea. Um, you know, I'm also eating this. There's a, a, a sea vegetable they harvest in Greece. It's like, it's, it's seaweed, <laughs> but it's not like traditional seaweed. And I eat a lot of that and it's amazing. So it's a, it's a, it's a source of plant from, from the ocean. It grows like in the tidal pools. Do you ever have a time in your day where you feel lethargic? I used to, I used, and that's kind of why I started experimenting with the time restricted fasting. But um, now, now I don't, I, I pretty much have very consistent energy throughout the course of the day. What about your mental acuity when you're fasting though? I've noticed when I'm fasting, I feel much more focused, much more clear. I can connect thoughts better. Do you feel the same way? That's, that's one of the reasons I do it. Yeah. And do you drink coffee? Let me ask, do you drink coffee in the morning? Morning. All day, bro. Are you a coffee drinker? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm assuming you are. Yeah, I, 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 I love my coffee. And um, you know what else I do is I put uh, fresh rosemary in, in my grind, in my coffee grinds. So uh, rosemary is like, has one of the highest um, antioxidant values of any, any food. And it just, it takes your coffee to the next level. It really, it mellows out the flavor as well. It makes it less harsh. Now, I know you got tests done like I remember seeing a video of you running on a treadmill with you all wired up. What were the findings of that in terms of how your body uh, processes lactic acid? Yeah, they found that I have a unique ability uh, not to accumulate lactic acid. And lactic acid is like a byproduct of uh, cellular metabolism. And it can be like a limiting factor and cause cramps and you know muscle fatigue and that sort of thing. So they found that 
you know, I could just keep running and there, it, my lactic acid just did not build up. And they're not sure why. They're like, we've tested a lot of, you know, Olympic athletes. We've never seen anything like this. Was that genetic or did you develop it? They, you know, they think, I mean, every, every endurance athlete has a higher um, threshold for lactic acid. So it's, it's an adaptation that you get when you develop uh, aerobic uh, capacity. But they said with me, there was something else beyond that. And they, you know, they said your genetic sequencing is, is different. Um, my mother comes from an island called Ikaria in Greece. It's, uh, it's where Icarus, the, you know, the guy with the wax wings, uh, crashed. And it's one of the, the blue zones. And I don't know, have you ever heard of the blue zones? I have not. Uh, the blue zones are these seven areas across the globe where the uh, indigenous peoples live to be the longest. So okay. this Greek island, um, they have the highest concentration of what are called centenarians. And these are people that live beyond 100. And so part of my genetic makeup comes from that island. Imagine if you had never done that run. And you never knew this about yourself. How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, you were talking about destiny. <laughs> All of this, I might not ever have known. Yeah, you're right. Wild, man. Now, you, when you uh, reflect on your 50-50-50, I don't know if you've seen um, The Iron Cowboy. James, sure. Yeah. I'm, is that fun for you now? I'm, I'm sure you're probably one of the first when you had done it. But a lot of people are doing challenges like that now. Yeah, it's really great for me to watch this. Um, there are all kinds of challenges. And, you know, to kind of have, have kind of been a pioneer in that field, if you will, if you call it a field, uh, is really great. You know, part, I mean, part of the, the part of the beauty of running a, a marathon in every state is that there are marathons in every state. So I ran like on sanctioned certified marathon courses, but people are doing other things like, you know, like James is like, I'm going to, I'm going to do uh uh, an Ironman in, in every state, no matter how I do it, you know, if that's going to be on a treadmill or a stationary bike or in a pool. So he's kind of like, there's all these permutations on the theme. What have you seen the infinitus in Vermont? Have you heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yes. Does that interest you at all? It's 550 miles. Yeah. I mean, I I've done things like that. I ran one time uh, down the, the backbone of California, uh, we have these things out here called missions. So I ran uh, 700 miles uh, from uh, basically Sonoma in Northern California to San Diego. So I've done a lot of things uh, kind of similar to, to those races. I, I did a race um, at the end of last year in, a, in Australia, a thousand mile race called a thousand miles to light. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did last year? Yeah, it was in, uh, when was it? In September. 1,000 miles? <laughs> That's crazy, man. You are who you are for a reason, man. <laughs> wow. What was that like? Uh, you know, Australia is very unique. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was unexpected. I'll put it that way. Because originally, it was supposed to be longer than that. And it was supposed to be all the way across Australia. From, uh, from a city called Perth to uh, Byron Bay. From, so from uh, the, the West Coast to the East Coast. Essentially, it'd be the equivalent of running from California to New York, only in Australia. But then the Delta, remember the Delta variant? 
-hmm. that hit and we could no longer run all the way across Australia. So now it's just running across like the biggest, one of the biggest states in Australia, which is called New South Wales. And I'm like, that's cool. It's still a thousand miles. And, and then when we got to Australia, um, it, Delta got really bad. So they said, well, now you got to run a thousand miles within this military base. <laughs> oh my God. And I said, I hope it's a big military base. And, and thankfully it was a big military base, but it, we were like in a, uh, an isolation bubble when we did this, we, um, you know, we, we, we weren't able to run all the way across Australia. How many days did that take you? Uh, 10. So you're doing a hundred a day. Yes. Now, I mean, I'm sure over the years, if you're doing interviews, you've gotten access, but just, you never had any major injury. Knock on wood. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I've lost, I've lost toenails as, as you know, I mean, that's not really a major injury, but. Do you stretch? No. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Oh my God. Um, so you just did a thousand in Australia. What in your mind right now, are you like, that would be a really big challenge that I would like to knock off my list. Yeah, well, I'm, it's funny you ask. I'm, I'm actually working on something, a project with uh, another ultra marathoner. His name is uh, Charlie Engel. And I think you got to look up uh, Charlie Engel and have him as a guest. He's fascinating. He's, he's a, he'd be a great, a great guest for you. But um, we're going to run from the lowest point on Earth to the highest point on Earth. Dead Sea to Mount Everest? How'd you know? Because that's my physical goal that I'd like to get done is climb Everest. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, well, I, when I tell people that, a lot of them say, well, I know Mount Everest is the highest point, but they don't know the lowest point. So uh, good for you for knowing that. And you know how far it is between the two? Uh, I'm going to guess. I mean, I know Everest is around 28,000 feet high, but you're asking for the distance between the Dead Sea and Everest, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you just take a stab at it because, you know, if, the Dead Sea is a long way from Mount Everest. So to run from the longest, the lowest to the highest, you know, you, you got to cross a couple of continents. Uh, 2,000 miles. Uh, it's a little bit further. And it, the, I guess the answer depends on the route you take. So... The most direct route is about 3,000 miles, but that routes you through Iraq and Iran and also some of Afghanistan. So whether we can get permits to do that is up in the air. And the least direct route, um, which is running up north above the Capsian Sea is uh, about 5,000 miles. So you're planning on doing the 5,000? I hope not, but we'll see. I mean, things are looking pretty good. And then I don't know if you've been following, there's a lot of conflicts going on in the, in the world right now, but another one is beyond uh, what's happening uh, with, with Russia is, um, you know, Iraq and Iran are back uh, lobbing bombs at each other. I did not know that. Um, so how would you do Everest? Because most people have to get, adjusted to the altitude for like two months before they climb it in that safe zone. So how are you planning on executing on that? Well, I mean, we'd still, uh, we'd still acclimatize, but because a lot of people just their, 
their cardiovascular system is not as developed. So it takes a little bit longer for them to acclimatize. We'd be on the kind of the fast track program, but we'd still, you know, uh, have to go uh, and spend some time at base camp. And okay. obviously, you know, I say run from the lowest point to the highest point, you know, we're not going to be running up Mount Everest, you know, at a point, the running shoes are coming off and the, you know, the, the hiking boots are coming on. How long will you have to climatize for? Not, not long. I mean, probably we'll use oxygen. I mean, that's the, the prudent thing to do is use oxygen. We'll most likely use oxygen. If that's the case, you know, it's it probably a two week trip. Okay, cool. And so when are, when are you planning on getting this thing done? Well, if you know about climbing Mount Everest, they're, they're kind of a, there's a, there's a window when you can arrive and it's usually kind of in May 1st to, to June timeline. But because of the way, I guess you could say climate change is impacting the globe, there's like a secondary window now in October. So we're either going to leave, uh, depending on the route we take in uh, January of 2023 uh, and try to hit the May uh, window for climbing Everest, or we're gonna leave in, in June of 2023 and try to hit the October window. That is gonna be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna are, we're gonna stand up paddleboard across um, across the Dead Sea, and then what, and then run. What a journey that will be! Wow, you're gonna see some crazy stuff out there. <laughs> that's that's what I love. Yeah. Well, hey man, um, that wraps it up for my questions. I had a really good time. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're a great host and uh, I hope we can run together one day. Yeah. What is your favorite movie? Oh, I'm trying to think of ones. You know, it, this this might sound funny to you, but I was like a huge Woody Allen fan. Uh, so like he did a parody on um, uh, on Tolstoy. It was called um, War and Peace. He did Love and Death. Okay. That was a movie that, you know, I mean, it's, it's super quirky. It's kind of, it's kind of intellectual, but that was a good one. Um, do you like Woody Allen? Do you like um, Wes Anderson? Not really. No, I don't really? like that kind of, uh, I, I like it a little more. I mean, Woody Allen is like, he's kind of eclectic. Um, I, you know, I like, I like Zorba the Greek was a great movie to me. I mean, that's an old movie, um, newer movies, uh, you know, Whiplash. Have you seen Whiplash? Of course. Yeah, I mean, that's to me that was really powerful. Um, you know, I mean, Gladiator. Of course, everyone loves Gladiator. That was Did you like Three Hundred? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a bit comical to me. I, I wish it was a little bit more real. It was, it was entertaining though. It was entertaining. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's in. We can watch it today, and it's still entertaining. I mean, how old is that movie? That movie's got to be almost twenty years old. <laughs> So yeah, it's probably close. Things like you. I mean, so ahead of his time it is in in all the um the animation they were doing. How about Troy? Troy was okay. I mean You didn't like Troy? Oh yeah, man. It's okay. I mean, I don't know. I've I've I, I know the story so well. Like I've read so many I, I just think it was it was a little You're bit over the top. Actually, Troy was pretty good. I, I don't know. I Brad Pitt, he didn't, that wasn't his best role. Like, I think he was better like in Fight Club. 
I just I am on the other end of the spectrum with you on this one, man. Like so you like Troy. I'm glad to hear it because uh, you know you're 26, and if you if you like Troy, I mean, have you ever read the Iliad? I spark notes it in college, truthfully. Okay. Do you know what spark notes is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the cheating yeah. way to read. Yeah, well, you didn't have a good professor because, like, a good professor, you would want to like delve into it. It's it, if if it's told well, the Iliad is so powerful. You like it more than the Odyssey. <sighs> They're both really good. They, but what, I mean, a what is the third book? What's the third book called? The third big epic of the i mean of homer of that time there's the odyssey the iliad there's one more uh there's aeschylus uh there's epicurus <laughs> i'll have to tell you on the email Shoot. yeah let's be in touch i actually got a i'm a, a late for a meeting you're a fascinating uh guy but i'm late for another call so i gotta i gotta bug out no sweat, man. Hey, yeah, I'm glad we met. I'll get your address, and uh, hopefully if I'm in San Francisco, we can meet up sometime. That'd be great. All right, brother. Great, great to meet you. Thank you so much. Good move to L.A. Okay, cheers.